0: guys, it is so good to be back. I'm excited for today, for the guests we're bringing on and just talking real estate. We're talking real estate for people all the way from that just got started in the industry, never bought a deal before, all the way to the seasoned vets. Uh, We pride ourselves on being able to cater to anybody. We just like to talk real estate. We're a bunch of real estate people. Um, People ask me, Adam, why did you get into real estate? Like four years ago, you quit your full-time job. How did you know real estate was the one for you? And I tell them there's a couple of different reasons, and the biggest reason is one, it's the biggest wealth generator. Um, you can build a lot of wealth when it comes to real estate. Ninety-five percent of millionaires own real estate, but the biggest thing is it's a wealth preserver. And what that means is, you know, when the economy goes bad, or when inflation's high, or when things happen that are out of our control economically, it's going to happen. Real estate is a great way to preserve your wealth because at the end of the day, a house will always be worth something. It's never going to be worth nothing. And what the value of the property is in this given moment does not matter. Because if you don't plan to sell it in that moment, what it's worth is really not a big deal, right? Markets come up, markets come down. But at the end of the day, if you plan to buy that and hold it and preserve your wealth into it, it really only matters what it's worth in 30 years when you go to sell it. Now, obviously, if you refinance and other things like that, maybe that does play a role. But for the most part, you have a tangible asset. You have a physical house. You can eat in it. You could sleep in it. You can do a lot of things with. You can build on to. You can add value into it. You can fix the kitchen, right? It's something that's physically in front of you and it will never go bad because people always need somewhere to live. And that's why I moved when I got my finance degree from buying stock market stuff, to moving all my wealth into real estate to preserve my wealth and allow it to generate me more wealth as I continue to grow my business. Um, So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna bring on a podcast guest here, Faraz. Um, He is a very well-known guy in the DC metro area that is using real estate to preserve his wealth and he's gonna teach us how here. Faraz, welcome brother, how are you? Thanks for having me on, Adam. Well, let's let's just get into it here. Um, Where are you coming in? Where are you tuning in from? Where are you doing real estate? Which market? I'm
1: broadcasting live from the D.C. metro area, and I have done deals in five states: Connecticut, Florida, Washington D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. Okay, and when you say you've done
0: deals, these are deals that you've purchased yourself. You know, deals you've brokered.
1: What type of deals are you doing in these states? So it all started in 2004 when I bought my first house, and then I leveraged the equity from that to get my second house. So I started off buying these houses as my primary, um, and then I started putting down 5%, moving into the new property, renting on my old property. Since 2010, I just started getting into investment properties, uh, meaning the deal was just an investment deal. I'm putting down 20 25%. Um, or I'm getting a hard money loan and I'm just doing a fix and flip.
0: Got it. Um, so I want to unpack a little bit of what we just talked about. Uh, you said you're using the equity from other properties to leverage to purchase more. What does that mean? How does that look like as far as anyone that in simple form?
1: Well, what that means is um, ideally you're building up equity in a property and um and you can take out, you can take out that equity from a property, right? You can take out a HELOC, you can refinance, you could do a cash out refinance. There's a couple of different ways to extract that capital and cash from your property um, to buy a secondary asset, to buy a secondary investment property. Got it.
0: So I'm a buy and hold investor myself, and um, you know what I would do to build equity in a property is I'll buy something that's out of date, right? You'll either you could fix up the kitchen, you could fix up the bathroom you can put some value into it. And then that obviously makes the property value go up. And honestly, there's sometimes in some situations where you're lucky where the value goes up with you not even having to do anything or you're paying down the loan each month, which is also increasing your equity. So what you're saying is you pull that equity out and you take that and you parlay that into the next investment. So you're just um, moving from you know e- exponentially moving into bigger objects.
1: For most of the deals in 2008, I actually got the George Bush bailout. A lot of people uh, don't remember this, but the government, after the market crashed, they gave out $8,000 and you didn't have to pay it back. So I used that to buy a property in Manassas, Virginia at the time. And then Obama came in in 2009. He gave another $7,500. It was a government's second first-time homebuyer credit, so I started off in real estate, you know, with little to no money, and I grew using these first-time homebuyer programs from the government. And um, I mean, now Virginia is offering like I have a lot of friends older than me, younger than me, they're still renting, and uh, Virginia's given fifteen thousand dollars as a first-time homebuyer credit if you're married, eight grand if you're single. Like I'm telling people, go to VHDA five hour course the state of virginia is helping people you know buy homes so the government the state governments they're doing this all over america now you know and it's easier for a her, excuse me it's easier for a first time home buyer to buy a property than someone like me this is what i tell people because i have existing mortgage debt right i have a lot of mortgage debt and the bank is going to look twice before writing me a loan than a first time home buyer
0: yeah, no, you're 100% right. I think that there's this one line I hear from everybody is, I can't buy real estate, I'm not rich, or I don't have money. And I look at them in the face and I say, you don't need money to buy real estate. Obviously, right, you, you need money, but you don't necessarily need as much money as you think, especially with, for a first-time homebuyer. You get a lot of incentives, programs. Philadelphia gives away 10,000 bucks. You only have to put 3.5% down. If you just use Google or you use some sort of resource, call a mortgage broker and just ask what you could do, what type of incentives are out there for you to buy homes. Like you said, the government was just giving you money to buy homes and nobody's taking advantage of this.
1: Is there? You, why do you think no one's taking advantage of that? People are uninformed. They're just really busy with their nine to fives. Um, a lot of the public just, you know, they're just not believers. And then a lot of people, they don't have good mentors. So I had a mentor in 2004, actually, a good family friend, and he's like, look, Faraz, if you want to retire rich and retire early in this country, the 30-year mortgage product is the best way to go. You don't have to buy four or five properties. Just buy one property, hold it all of your life. By the time you're 65, it's going to be paid off, right? So these are a lot of concepts that a lot of people – Um, aren't getting and um, and real estate like you probably know this Adam real estate is not taught in high school and it's not taught in business school kind of like personal finance so why you know they want the public to rent they want the public to not have good debts right so real estate for me was a wealth preservation tactic
0: yeah and, and it's funny you say that because when you look at it banks, government sometimes, you know, you're paying $2500 in rent, that's okay. They're allowing you to do that, but you're not going to allow me to buy a house where my mortgage is only 900 and you don't trust that I can make the monthly payment, but I'm paying I've been paying 2500 bucks a month in rent my whole life. And a lot of people don't understand when you're paying rent, you're paying someone else's mortgage. Someone else is benefiting when you could be taking that equity and putting it back into your property. Eventually, when you sell it down the road, that money you put in is going to come right back out back to you, whereas rent, you might as well light it on
1: fire. Exactly. That's why the saying goes, whenever you're renting, you're just giving all your money and your, you know, your equity and your wealth to your landlord.
0: Yeah. No, 100%. You're just making the rich richer. And you're just, again, you're not holding on to any of that equity that you're putting in. Um, and then
1: here's another thing, if I can add on. We're in a time of high inflation right uh some economists like i follow would define the last two years in american history as hyperinflation. inflation so during times of inflation real assets explode right we have this war going on overseas real assets are going to go up and this year real assets perform better than financial assets right you got a lot of people that lost the boat on, on bitcoin on crypto and s p nasdaq Tesla's down like 70, 80%. What's going on? You see, so they they kind of disenfranchised people thinking that, oh, you know, you got to put all your wealth into the stock market. And then, boom, they pulled the rug this year on everybody. But people in real estate are OK. Like, I'm OK. My friends in real estate are doing better than ever. <laughs> it's funny
0: you say that because everybody was putting money into Bitcoin, and I'm like, do you even know what you're investing in? What are you putting your money into? I don't even know. All I know is I was told that if I put my money into this thing, I'm going to become a millionaire. You don't even know what you're putting your money into. At least when you're buying real estate, you could go sit in it. You could sleep in it. You can eat in it. You could physically touch this thing and you know what you're buying. So I I, I think just watching the sheep just all flock to whatever the the, the news is talking about or whatever, whatever – um, that is the new fad in the moment to purchase. is is just a sad sight to see. I wish more people would just understand real estate will never go bad, and it's really the best vehicle. That's right. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. So you're you're uh, buying. Uh, you bought your first two properties. You used government funds to buy those properties. Where would you say now uh, where you're at? How many deals would you say you be that you buy a month? How many
1: houses do you own? So I've been in the D.C. metro area uh, for some time now, like I mentioned, the last three to four years, deal flow is getting very challenging, which is one of the reasons why in 2021, I went down to Florida to get a property down there. So, I mean, I'm looking all over the place for deals. Um, I bought properties before from auction.com. I think from 2008 to 2014, every property I bought was a REO or a foreclosure. Um, so what I kind of like to tell people who are trying to get into real estate is look for the ugly deals. This is how I made my money was by buying distressed properties, by buying ugly properties. I think you mentioned it earlier. It's about fancying up the kitchen, about you know doing a nice little renovation job. Um, that's how you're gonna build equity. That's, um, and then here's another thing, Adam, that a lot of people don't realize is that 80% of the banks in America, they only lend to real estate. They're not giving this money out for a business plan, right? Because the the government says themselves, 90% of of businesses will fail in the first five years. So banks are giving out their money, commercial banks in particular. 80% of the money, according to an economist I follow, Michael Hudson, um, 80% of banks lend out money to real estate. So when I learned this five years ago, I'm like, I got to buy more real estate. And then I started, you know, I'm I'm, all the loans I'm getting are these real estate loans. And within that is this blanket of equity, right? That builds up.
0: Yeah. And uh, another point to that is, um, I'm not going to sit here and and paint butterflies and roses for being a landlord. Like, don't get me wrong. We're going to dive, we're going to dive into the, to the other side of this, what the risks, the downfalls are, because, with everything you're investing in right do your due diligence know what you're doing know what the pros and knows what the know, know what the cons are right you can't just jump in without knowing what what the two sides are but for the most part when it comes to real estate you start cash flowing the first month if you're doing it the right way right you buy it for a certain price you rent it out for a price more than the mortgages and that is already generating profit for your business where like you said most businesses you're not making a profit for the first six months or for the first year. Real estate, on the on the other hand, you could start cash flowing
1: day one of the purchase. And banks want 50% down on a business loan. A friend of mine and his wife are doctors. are trying to open up a clinic right now in Northern Virginia. They have great credit. They probably have more cash than me because they've never owned a house before. And their bank wants 50% down on a $150,000 loan. And you don't hear that, like you probably never put 50% down on a real estate deal. Neither have I, you no, know, so. Never in my life. I, I, I've, put a, I've,
0: I've bought a house outright cash, 100% down at one point, which is, is dumb. And we can get into that, why that was dumb of me. Um, but I, I ended up refinancing and pulling all the cash back out uh, when I realized I should be leveraging my cash and not placing it all into one, um, one specific asset. But again, you live and you learn, and that's the beauty of it is, you're going to learn, you're going to make mistakes, but if you're listening to professionals or people that are doing it, you can learn from their mistakes.
1: I mean, some deals it's okay. Like I bought one property cash. I bought a property in Baltimore a couple of years ago and it was 18 grand. So it's like, I can't, I couldn't even finance that, Adam. You know what I mean? Like no one would finance that. I had to just pay cash. So um, it's deal specific, but yeah, I I mean, I'm with you. If the the property is a hundred thousand dollars plus, I'm not paying cash for it. I'm getting financing. It's all about using other people's Money. This is another fundamental and one of my keys to success is not using your own money. It's using the bank's money. Too many people are trying to sit here and save up their life savings and they just put it all. And it's like, it's like the saying goes, you don't put all your eggs into one basket. You got to stay diversified.
0: Got it. Got it. Um, if, if you could give some sort of piece of advice, you know, someone's saying at home or someone's, someone's listening and they're like, well, how am I supposed to like, how do I go out and get that first house? I think that's the biggest hurdle for most people is just going out and buying that first one. I remember once I bought that first one, it was like a mudslide of houses. I was just like, next, buy, 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 next, next. But it was that really that first one that was the hardest. What type of advice would you give to somebody on getting that first one done?
1: I tell them to get a mentor because a mentor is absolutely in my opinion, the fastest way to speed up your own self growth and success, right? Like a mentor, they've made all the mistakes. They have past performance. They've gone through all the experience. They find it gratifying, helping others, um, get a mentor. This is how I started. I got, I had a mentor in 2004. Um, Every page of my life in every industry I've been involved in, I try to surround myself, Adam, around the smartest and the best people. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to hire you or I'm going to work with you because you have a degree, right? Because we all know a lot of people with degrees that don't have jobs and they're not financially successful. So my number one piece of advice, honestly, would be to find a mentor first, because the real estate agent... Some of them are sharp, some of them are savvy, right? But they're transactional. The loan officer, right? He's a subject matter expert in his field, right? The contractor is the SME in his own field. So you get a mentor, someone like yourself, and um, right? And they're going to tell you well, like a strategy for success and what to avoid, what not to avoid, what type of property to buy. They're going to tell you, like you know, about the condition, what to stay away from, etc.
0: No. Yeah. I think you're, you're spot on the, um, you're the mentor. You want to be learning from experienced people. I say like, you're not going to reach out to Michael Jordan for anything other than to try to play basketball. Right. That's what he does. He plays basketball. Why would you not learn from someone who's out in the field doing it? It's the same exact thing. You want to learn from the experienced people. Uh, and I think a lot of people kind of take that mentor thing just a too like too literal. Like they'll start calling people saying, "Hey, can you be my mentor?" "Hey, can you be?" My... And it's not, it's not, it's not always that way. Is find someone who has knowledge, knows what they're doing, has success, and figure out a way you can give value to them. And in return, they have no problem sharing their secrets. They have no problem sharing anything that they can do to help you. Uh, whether it's you do cold calls for them or you canvass the streets, you do anything, you find someone where you could bring your value or your time and you could help them accomplish something and in return, have them teach you along the way. And that's not, doesn't have to be a literal, hey, be my mentor, sure, I'll be your mentor type conversation. Um, Awesome, I wanna know about uh, one of your uh, specific deals you're working on now, Uh, any deals you have under contract or deals you just purchased, uh, just bought recently?
1: I just sold a property in Florida recently.
0: How did that work? You bought it, uh, how long ago?
1: I bought it in 2021. Okay. And I got a hard money loan on that. I put down 10%. I closed in 13 days. Um, so the last couple of deals I've been doing, they're hard money deals. So this is a single family house I ended up purchasing in Tampa in 2021. Can we just, uh, can you just
0: dive a little bit deeper on what exactly you mean when you say hard money? So hard
1: money, that's a good question. That's a good question. I wasn't prepared for that. So a hard money lender is not like a capital one. It's not a bank of America, right? It's not going to be a traditional lender or even a secondary lender. So a hard money lender, like someone like you and me, right. Could be a private money Lender, So hard money lender is kind of like a private money lender. They're making these exogenous loans. They're going to charge you a little bit higher interest rate, but they're not looking at your taxes. They're not looking at your income. I swear to God, I tell people this on the street and they they don't believe me. So a hard money lender, they want to know about your experience, right? So I'm a hard money lender. I'm going to Adam. Adam wants to borrow this money and I'm just vetting Adam's experience, right? Or, or my experience. So the hard money lender wants to see your past performance. They want to see how many fix and flips you've done. They want to see how many rental properties you've had. They want to see like five to 10 property deals in the last four to five years. And the benefit of a hard money lender is they can, uh, excuse me, they can close quickly and they close with cash and you're essentially in a loan agreement kind of like an arm agreement that i've seen from the contract side um right so the hard money lender that that corporation pays off the property in cash but you're in debt to them and the rates are between like eight to twelve percent right depending on your credit score and your experience and the market you're in and that'll get you in the deal i mean that'll get you through the door um in 2020 in fort washington i flipped a house and in two weeks They closed. It was the first hard money lender that I worked with. And I found it fascinating, Adam, because, you know, sometimes it takes two months to close the deal. If you're going through a boring bank, right, or a traditional bank, sometimes it'll take 45 days, right? Sometimes the deal will blow up in your face a day before closing, right? Because uh, your credit's not this, your income's not that, your DTI is too high. Hard money, if the numbers are right if they can see that you're going to make money and that renovation is accurate, they're going to give you the loan. another one of the big benefits, Adam, about a hard money lender is there's something called the construction drawback. And I just learned this in the last two to three years, right? Like I've been in real estate since 2004. So just in 2020, I started getting educated, knowledgeable about hard money lenders and hard money loans.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the important thing that, that people should know as well is uh, hard money. When we say experience, most of them really only look for two to three projects you've done. They're not looking for you to be, you know, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett's of the world, Donald Trump developers. They're not looking for that type of experience. They want to just see that you've done two to three projects, sometimes even one. And for them, that that's that's good for them. The other thing that uh, is, is good to talk about is finding a lender, a hard money lender that's, you know, asset based lending, which is they're not even really looking as much on the experience because it's like one of those things, the double-edged sword is you want me to get experience. You won't give me a loan unless I have experience, but I can't get experience unless someone gives me a shot. And it's the same thing. Well, if you find a really, really good asset, there are some hard money lenders that I've found that will base, that will lend based on the asset. Let's say for example, you're buying a house for 50 grand and it's worth 250 grand for a lender that's amazing they only have to lend fifty thousand dollars on a property worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars let's say you default and don't pay the bank now they have a two hundred fifty thousand dollar property that they only lent fifty thousand dollars on and sometimes that might just get your foot in the door as well but i think just the overall uh, message is is building relationships building relationships from the ground up not just with your contractors your construction workers with your banks with your lenders right? Showing up in person, finding that person you can have a face-to-face build that relationship with. They become comfortable with you. You become comfortable with them because the more comfortable they are with you, the less risky that they make that you feel to them. And the more willing they are to lend you that money. Do you use the same hard money lenders for every single transaction you do? Do you shop around for the best rates? What is, what
1: is your input on that? I've done two hard money deals so far. They've been with different lenders. Um, the first deal was in Maryland. It was with a, a local lender here. And then the second deal was in the second hard money deal was in Florida. That lender was actually based out of New York. Uh, one of my financial advisors recommended. And I mean, like I have a Rolodex now, at least 40, 50 hard money lenders. Cause I go to all these REI meetups up and down the East coast. And, um, next year I'm actually thinking about taking a break, Adam, from the fix and flip game. And, Becoming a private money lender myself. Like I've made a couple of small loans in the past. And the beautiful part about is is that I can charge 15 to 25% on that loan. Right now you can. With interest
0: rates, you're not going to get cheaper than that right now. I just bought a house. I paid, I'm 14 and a quarter. So and that's a private lender. A 14 and a quarter I just paid, which again, it was convenient. No doc loans. So They're not looking at my tax returns. They're not looking at anything other than what assets I have and what my experience looks like. But again, that's something that didn't come overnight. I it took me being in the year, you know, the game a couple years to finally build that relationship with this person. Um, I wanna dive deeper, cause we did start on it. I wanna dive deeper on this Florida project you, you purchased. So you're buying a house, this is in Tampa, which by, by the way is a super hot, um, super hot market. One of my biggest deals to date is in Tampa. It's the number one appreciating city. I think behind Austin, Texas, I think it might be number two in the United States, followed by Raleigh and Charlotte area. Um, So Tampa is a huge area of Florida. Um, So you purchased the property with a hard money loan. What did that look like? I just want to dive into the numbers. Purchase price? Purchase price was around 140. Okay. And you had to put 10% down. So you had to put $14,000
1: out of your pocket. Put 14 grand down. I think it was like 9.25% and it was a one-year loan. The paperwork looks awfully like an arm. It looks like an arm contract because after a year, the loan resets and you gotta pay like a balloon payment, blah, 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 blah. the rate goes
0: up. Interesting. Um, and you're borrowing the $140,000 you said for one year, you put down $14,000, uh, you're making payments every single month, interest only, or are you also paying down on that principle of the 140000
1: it's just interest only. It's a good thing uh, you mentioned that. I totally forgot about that. Um, the hard money loan is just interest only. Um, yeah, and I just paid interest. And um, and I actually didn't have to make my first payment, Adam, with this last hard money deal in Florida um, till three months after origination.
0: Wow. They, gave, any, me, they, they gave me... Any prepayment penalty?
1: No prepayment penalty.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's... Um, for the first three months, you're getting lent this money, right? Let's say you're a fix and flipper. Um, if you can get the project done in two months and sell it on the third month, right? You're really missing out on all that interest that you're, you would have been having to pay. And then you can sell the
1: property when you fix and flip it to be able to pay back that loan. And now the hard money lenders, they're better terms than I got a year or two ago. You probably know what the terms are now. You don't even have to make the mortgage payments till once you go to settlement and you sell the property.
0: <laughs>
1: so I'm probably going to use a new hard money lender for my next fix and flip deal because of you know they're giving those terms that you know number 1 and number 2 hard money lender never number issued two. me.
0: And and that's the thing about it, right? So I'm happy you said that is Hard money lenders, I hate to say it, but they're like flies on shit, right? There's a multitude of lenders in the world. They, you, they're like real estate agents. They, you ring a, you ring a bell, you scream agent in public, and you got a hundred people chasing after you. Um, and I want just people to know that it's the same thing with hard money lender. People are like, oh, how do I find one of these things? Like it's the hardest thing to find. No, they will find you if you need a hard money lender. I can give you hundreds and hundreds of people that would reach out to you if you ever made an inquiry. So it's one of those things, you got to feel like they need you more than you need them and feel free to shop around and find ones that are going to give you the better rates or they're going to work with you in the best type of way. So I just want to make sure that that's known that uh, it's something important. Um, all right. So you bought it for one hundred forty. what was your exit strategy or what was your strategy with the specific building? You have one year till you have to pay that $140,000
1: back. What are you doing in that year? And what does that look like? All right. So this was actually my most challenging deal, the property in Tampa, Florida. And I'll tell everybody why. I fixed up the property. I renovated it. And it was on the market for three weeks. And I got a stop work order from the government. Mm. I got a stop work order from the city of Tampa, their building department, because I did not apply for any permits. So this is the challenge that everybody needs to be aware of, that when you go out of state and when you go nationwide, like I tried to do, you got to be aware of the rules and regulations of zoning, and I wasn't, right? Like, I made, a, I made a blip, and I didn't realize that Florida is so hardcore. <laughs> so once I started spending time down there, I started learning that you got to get a permit for... Every damn thing, Adam, and what I did and what set it off was it was a little two by uh, two by two deck and a little garage for that cost like six hundred dollars. So they uh, flagged me as um, having a structural renovation and I ended up taking a haircut on that deal. Long story short, it took me seven months to get that damn permit. And I have a lot of negative and bad things to say about those people, but I'm not going to say that Mm -hmm. anything um, today. I'm just kidding. But, um, it was really challenging. It's, it it was like, I learned now how to do business in real estate in Florida. It's not like new England. It's not like DC, Maryland, Virginia. Um, They're sicklers about private property rights down there. They want everything done The code. And when I went down there, spent time down there, I started, you know, talking to other real estate investors and they're like, Faraz, the code in D.C. where, you know, you live is completely opposite of the code in Tampa, Florida. (laughs) And what they meant was up where I live here in D.C., you buy something old, put a little money into it, put it back on the market. That's my strategy. That's how I was successful doing these real estate deals. In Tampa, they want new construction, Adam, for everything. So if I were to build, if you were to build a single-family home, new construction, it's actually easier for that buyer and that borrower to do a new family, new construction, than get permits and get zoning and approval on a, on a renovation and a remodel, if that makes sense. They're, they're friendlier. They'll rubber stamp the permit right, uh, those documents for a new construction investor. So, um, you know, I jumped the gun, you know, you know, th- thinking that, um, you know, I'm going to hit a home run on that Florida deal, you know. And it also wasn't the best location. I learned, you know, later, um, and there was a, a what's called functional obsolescence. The layout was kind of retarded, and I should have demoed out this, this kitchen wall, yada, yada, yada. I didn't do that. You know what I mean? Um, but that's kind of what I got myself involved in in Florida. And um, all of this has been a lessons learned, right? Every every deal, every incident, right, is lessons learned. Um, so now I know how to do things the right way. Next time I go out there, try to flip a house in Florida.
0: Yeah, no, I think the key takeaways from that is you know, not not all markets are built the same, right? The way we do things in Philly, the way you think you do things in, in, in DC Metro, the way they do it in Tampa, because I've done deals down in Tampa. And for me, I thought, you know, I could just go from Philadelphia down to Tampa as well. And it'd be just as easy, right? I'm in the sunshine state. It's going to be hot. It's going to be warm all year round. There's not going to be any winter downfall in the market. But, you know, news to me is that just because, you know, real estate investing is the same it's not actually the same when it comes to different areas. You got to know the caveats of that specific market, right? In Florida, I didn't know that a lot of people take that sunroom, quote unquote sunroom, and turn it into a bedroom. That's like yep. thing to do there. Yeah. In Pennsylvania, <laughs> right? In Philadelphia, specifically, we are built on houses with five foot deep basements, four foot basements. So when you're going down to your, into a basement, you're, not, you're ducking down. For whatever reason, I don't know if the people that built the houses were small or what the what the situation was. Yeah. But as an investor, you need to know if you're buying a house in Philly, the the the, the depth and how deep that basement is can be the difference between uh, a ninety thousand and a hundred thousand dollar rehab. That's a ten thousand dollar. If you got to dig it, redig it, and then re-pour a new slab, that's ten grand. So measuring how deep the basement is is something that you need to know here in Philly, not in Florida, because most Florida houses don't have basements. Again, yep. You look at that sunroom and convert that into a fourth bedroom usually. Um, So, again, each market is different. And the way to learn, again, is by following the people that are doing it or learning through mistake. That's what happens as a human, right? We make mistakes. Hopefully, we don't make that same mistake twice. We learn from it. And that makes us better as investors. You can't expect to be the best investor overnight.
1: You just said the buzzword a minute ago, and that was local. All real estate, like they say. Is local. All real estate is local. And I learned that the hard way. You know, I thought that I could apply this successful concept in New England down south. True.
0: I want to I want to I want to uh, have a little healthy conversation around. Um, you said fixing and flipping, is, you'd say, is your main uh, source of real estate
1: investing. It well, was. Now I have a couple of rental properties in the D.C. Uh, area. Um, but I've been aggressive. I mean, you know, I have a substantial fix and flip history.
0: Why, why exactly do you pick fix and flip? And the reason I ask is because I, I think personally fixing and flipping is, uh, for me, just the least favorable in my mind. One, because there's a lot of risk involved. You really got to pay attention to how the market's acting. And um, there's just a lot of unknowns when it comes to fixing and flipping and you're getting rid of the asset. What are your thoughts on that? When you're selling the property, you're getting rid of the asset. You're no longer getting this, the tax incentives. You're no longer getting the cash flow. You're really just getting rid of it. You're making a fat lump sum, but you're gonna pay capital gains on that. So why- You're absolutely right. So it's a high why, risk-
1: Why do you prefer that? It's a high risk affair. I think um, fixing and flipping is definitely high risk. i learned over the years, the reason why I got into it and I was attracted to it because I had good credit And I had a nine to five job and I could get qualified on these loans. So that's why I got attracted into fixing and flipping. And you know how America is, right? Like they'll let you buy anything in this country, you know, but selling it right is another problem. That's a whole nother model and and concept. So I got, I got, you know, interested in in real estate investing through the fix and flip model because the it was easy for me to finance. I'll be honest with you guys. It was like the banks were just, you know, willing to underwrite these loans. If they're looking for someone, if you have a job and you have good credit, then you have 50% of your work already done. Like real estate is more challenging if you're coming from the outside without any income and with shitty credit, right? So if you have some type of nine to five, you got some way decent credit, decent savings, um, you're more than 50% there.
0: Fair My enough. Opinion. Fair enough. And uh I asked because me and me and uh fix and flippers, we have like this healthy this healthy relationship <laughs> where we butt heads a little bit because you know I before I became a buy and hold investor, I was a, a big time wholesaler, right? I was wholesaling, you know, I've wholesaled over two hundred and fifty homes here in Philadelphia. You know, I've wholesaled a lockdown in Tampa, Florida. And for me, in whole fix and flippers look at me, uh, for those that don't know what wholesaling is, is you're just flipping a real estate contract. So you're putting it under contract for a price and you're flipping the contract before you ever actually close on the property. So you never have to purchase the property and you're just flipping the the property in it's as is condition to an investor for more money than you found it for. And uh, so I did a deal down in Tampa, Florida, actually my biggest deal to date. And um, I made 190,000 on the assignment fee and the fixer and flipper, made less than me and he looked at me and he said, Hey, how could this be that you didn't take any risk? You put down no money. um, And in 30 days you had $190,000 not taxed as capital gains. And I'm over here, sweat, sweat and knees deep in a
1: rehab project. Yep. Yep. So we didn't even talk about wholesaling. I've actually done a couple of wholesale deals and it's funny
0: because
1: I'm sorry, say that again? I said, wholesaling is my favorite thing to talk about. Yeah, so wholesaling is great for newbies and rookie investors, cause you don't need a lot of capital. It's actually great. You brought up wholesaling because that's great for people that are just trying to enter real estate. They don't have to take on the risk of managing, maintaining, paying for all the right maintenance costs of the property. Um, so I actually, my first wholesale deal was funny if I can share the story. Sure. I was trying to buy the house to live in it and I realized that, so I was under contract I thought it was going to take 40000 50000 then I had the inspection and then I found out it's going to take ninety grand to fix up the house so I think this was in 2013 or 2012 so I was just about to you know, get out of the contract, Adam, then a friend of mine who was savvy in real estate calls me up and he's like, Faraz, don't Get out of that contract yet? I have a friend, mm-hmm. and he's a whale. He's a big shark. He's gonna buy you out, and I'm like, I don't understand this. Explain this to me. So he explained to me how wholesaling works, and you know, long story short, it's that it's that little assignment clause in contracts that ninety percent of real estate agents don't know about. So I ended up making five grand. I sold the property to his friend. His friend paid us ten grand. My friend took five. I took five home. And that guy was a legitimate. I mean, he was um, like, like, like he was a licensed general contractor. Also, you know, he had his own contractors. I'm always getting subcontractors. So within six months, Adam, he bought that house, he fixed it up and he sold it. And it's like I couldn't have you know done that at the time. I don't have a team in place.
0: Yeah, it's funny when you accidentally make money or put yourself in a situation to make money that you never expected. And honestly, in real estate, it happens way more often than you would than you would think. Um, I actually have a pretty good story in a second here. Have I accidentally uh, put myself into some money, which is again always a always a bonus. Um, But yeah you know wholesaling again it's one of those things it's a vehicle for exit and you know i approach a lot of sellers right and i don't necessarily know in that moment what my exit strategy is but i do let them know at the end of the day the property will get sold on the date that was given on the contract and you will have the money that we agreed upon on that date so whether i decide to wholesale it in the moment or i decide to buy it myself or or fix and flip it whatever the exit strategy might be right you let the seller know. Listen, at the end of the day, you're going to get your money, and all's fair, and all's and all you know, all good. Um, so I just want to throw that in there. But a story I have, real quick. Um, I actually had a house under contract. Uh, it was actually a vacant lot. It was just a piece of land in the middle of Philadelphia. Um, a woman had it. You know, obviously, again, she didn't know what she had. She just thought it was a piece of land. Um, I was under contract uh, for thirty thousand dollars on it. Um, it was probably worth. Uh, Triple ninety thousand, sixty to ninety thousand. I'd say that the piece of land was worth. You could build a triplex on it. Um, so we're under contract. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited for obvious reasons, and you know we're we're getting to day fifteen, day twenty. We're about to settle on the property, and um, you know news comes to the seller. She realizes that the property is you know worth potentially more than what she was under contract with me for. Right. So in that moment, she said, Adam, no deal. She tried to raise the price to 60,000. You know, I said, with all due respect, ma'am, we were under contract at 30. You can't come to me a day or two before closing and expect me to just to pay double. Right. I wish that that was the way the world worked, but that's not unfortunately what I can do for you. Um, You know, I'm willing to come up a bit here to make you feel a bit better but I'm not going to come up to 60,000 the day before. That'd be like me calling you and saying, no, I'm going to pay 10 to 15 grand instead would not be fair. Um, She wasn't having it. She wanted 60,000 or she told me to kick rocks. I said, listen, you know, there's an easy way. There's a hard way, blah, 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 yada, yada. Uh, You know, when it comes to contracts, you can't sign contracts agree upon prices uh, and not perform right. That's what um, contracts are set in place for. So I put a Liz pendants on the vacant land. I said, listen, if you're not going to work with me to sell your, your piece of land, you're not going to work with anybody. So, before what well, people don't know if a Liz pendens is, it's a block on the title that allows it to not be sold to anybody else without my permission, right? That's what it, you know, that's what her consideration is. I put down a deposit. She has to sell me that property. And if not, I can put a Liz pendens on the property to block the sale. Um, so now I had a Liz pendens on the property. And um you know, which could take you know six to eight months
1: to. I, I didn't even know that what a Liz pendant
0: was. Yeah, so a lis pendens is you file it with the title company, and it blocks the title because you know what's there to stop a seller from saying, "All right, fifty thousand bucks, you can have the piece of land." Now I went ahead, I got a survey of the land. I went ahead, I got a phase one of the land. Right, I'm now I'm putting money into purchasing this, right? I'm getting my ducks aligned and I'm doing the things necessary to get this, which is time and money again on my side. You know, a seller can't just back out a day, day before closing and expect there not to be repercussions, right? I'm giving you a deposit. If I back out, you take my deposit. If you back out, I can put a list pendant on the property. Again, a lot of people don't know that as well. Um, so I put a list pendens on the property. I said, listen, you're not selling this thing to anybody without me, right? I'm, I'm gonna get what, you know, I'm gonna get my fair share. Um, and uh, I was actually approached by, so she went to a buyer, right, to go sell it, resold it, and he finds my Liz Pendants. And he says, um, Listen, I wanna buy this piece of land, but you have a Liz Pendants on it. And I said, Well, listen, I'll make a deal with you. You can either fight me in court to get that Liz Pendants removed, which is gonna cost you a lot of time and a lot of money. Or you can give me $25,000 right now and I'll remove the Liz pendants. I'll walk away right now um, from this and you can purchase it. And he gave me the $25,000. I removed the Liz pendants and he bought the lot. Um, again, at this point, I didn't buy the property. I never owned any ownership of the property. I didn't even know that this Liz pendants was worth value, but me just slapping a Liz pendants, which is uh, 15 minutes of worth of paperwork, ended up making me $25,000. So uh, just to show that there's so many different ways in this real estate game to make money. If you're creative and if you're educated, um, on different things, uh, involved with real estate, you could really change the game for yourself. Um, awesome. So where are we at now? What's, what's for the future? Um, I just want to start off with what is, what are you doing now in your business that you weren't necessarily doing when you first got started? Is there any systems you put in place to kind of make, uh, finding deals quicker or faster or, alleviating some of the hard work you had to do in the first couple of years? Is there any systems in place you you do now?
1: Ah, systems. That's a good question. I mean, I'm learning more that relationships are really vital and really important. Um, And what else um, have I learned now versus I started, I guess getting more estimates from contractors. Like I used to just go with the first or second estimate, but now, like, I'm trying to build a fence outside my property right now, and I've gotten 15 estimates, Adam. And you and I learned through each of those estimates, I learned something different that another contractor didn't mention and was talking about. I thought fences were so basic and boring. There's <laughs> so much there's so much involved, right, just to that. So, um, I mean, right now I'm learning um, – just to go to more REI meetups, I guess I, I wasn't doing that, you know, 15 years ago. Now I'm doing that. I'm going to more REI meetups, um, just networking, just, you know, networking, getting to know people, um, you know, um, I'm trying to get into a JV deal probably next year so I can focus on other things like, you know, traditionally, you know, I'm the CEO or like I'm the the manager of the property, and I hate managing properties. You know, managing properties sucks. Like I'll For say, sure. like, you know, managing it's that dirty side, right? It's an unattractive side, uh, managing toilets and tenants. So next year I'm probably gonna hire a property manager, give him eight, ten percent of the rent, and that way I can focus on building more inventory and getting more properties. And um, I think that prices are gonna go down more, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean for people that are listening, that now is not the time to buy. Because if you're renting, we're still in a high inflation environment, rents go up, right? One of the reasons why you probably bought in Tampa and I did too is because they actually had the highest amount of rental inflation in America. I think the rents went up like 16 to 20%, something ballistic over the last two years, compounded.
0: Yeah. You 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 know how many friends I have or people I know that got that letter in the mail from their landlord saying, we're, we're going to increase your rent by 20 to 30 to 40%. And it's just like during COVID, it was, you know, people couldn't rent houses to save their lives for a little bit because nobody wanted to leave their house. Nobody was moving. And then as soon as that bubble bursted, right, the real estate market took off. And Once that was over with, rents tripled, doubled. People were living in places that they weren't living before, right? Because you could live in Florida and work a New York City job. Everything was, you know, through Skype or through uh, an online platform. So a lot of people are moving to these areas, increasing the rental values,
1: leaving New York City, taking the money with them. Yep, yep. And I don't mean to deviate, but you see, this year, a lot of people don't understand how the Federal Reserve works. Or monetary policy works and what's going on is they're coming after everybody now they're trying to destroy wealth like this isn't a coincidence how real estate prices have blown up and rent prices are blown up like like they're trying to create a rent tier economy out of Americans they don't want people to own assets so I try to tell people be as self-sufficient as possible this is what I've learned Adam I've been learning this my whole life because I didn't come from money. Um, try to be as self-sufficient as possible. Own your car, own your house. You know, um, I started renting out my cars on Turo the last two or three months. It's paying them off. I'm thinking about starting a new side business just on Turo Maven or Get Around. So there's a lot of ways to make money, but it comes down to you gotta. It comes down to wealth management and capital preservation. I just wanna, you know, leave off with that as a core concept and idea, cause people aren't thinking about this and people aren't talking about this. And before you know it, you're gonna be fifty sixty and you're gonna be paying that twenty five hundred a month in rent. And I mean what are, are you are people really trying to work till they're seventy five eighty, eighty five? They will. They will now in America with this inflation.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, you know, a couple things to that is uh uh, you saw BlackRock, sorry that I got a little, I was trying to think of the name, BlackRock, you had all these larger companies moving in and just buying all these rentals, right? It was becoming corporatized, right? Now you're going to a centralized spot, like now banks, right? Zillow was buying uh, for for a long while, you know, these hedge funds, and they're trying to corporatize being a landlord, that it wouldn't be private landlords anymore, it'd be these larger scale companies. Again, Again, pushing people, the common person into just becoming a renter and not educating them on how they can change their situation by keeping them in that rental spot so that they kind of control them. Uh, and the other thing I want to point out that you said that's you know just very significant. And I wish somebody would grab my face and yelled me yelled this in my face when I was younger is it's not hard to make money, right? It really is not hard to make money. Making money if you're you can get creative, and if you really want to, you can go out and make money. It's holding on to it, right? It's holding on to that wealth, maintaining it the assets you have maintaining them. You can go buy a car, you can go buy a house, but hanging on to that thing for the life of it is gonna be the hardest challenge. So that's one thing you gotta make sure to plan out for. Um, Management
1: and maintenance,
0: yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Faraz, so we have our final question here before we wrap up. It is sponsored to us by the Asset Estate Discord, which for those that don't know is a learning environment. Uh, where we're teaching people how to do wholesaling, fix and flip. Um, Airbnb, Airbnb arbitrage, all the different vehicles you can utilize uh, to become uh, a real estate professional, as well as it's a great way to network. It's a community-based environment where you're learning from other people. You're meeting other people that are learning just like you. And it's all online, which is uh, special because when I first got into it, I know you mentioned before, you're going to these real estate meetups. There's only so many people you can meet in your given area in real estate. And what you know this new online Discord community has allowed me to do is meet people like you in the DC area, which I would have never met at a meetup and meet people all across the world. Uh, so the estate, estate Discord, if you haven't checked it out yet, here's our sponsored question is, what is the craziest real estate story or situation you have seen thus far in your real estate career? A purchase you've had or experience you've been a part of?
1: Oh gosh, I got a lot of them. I got a lot of money. Um, that Florida deal was probably, you know, um, the worst or the most challenging deal I encountered. Um, dealing with the government, trying to get a permit, it was like, it was like going to, it was like dealing with the mafia. I actually called them the mafia because they had twelve people on my permit application. There in the dozen people on the inspection part. So that was the worst deal. I mean, I've had all types of things happen on these properties, Adam. I've had a contractor fall through the roof before yeah, and Adam, threatened to yeah. sue me. I had two bozos outside cutting um the grass one time. They got stung by a bee, they called nine one one, threatened to sue me, tried to put the ambulance bill on me. And I'm like, wow, you guys like this is how desperate people are now to make money? You like took an ambulance ride off a bee sting? <laughs> yep. Yep.
0: Man, people don't seem to <laughs> unsurprise yep. me.
1: I had a title company last year. Oh, I should have even said it last year because now people can probably investigate and figure it out. I had a title company, Adam, and they stole some of the money from the closing amount. I sold this property. And you know how you get this Alta statement on your HUD one and sellers owe this much money? I didn't get that wire transfer. It took me three weeks to get my money back, to get them to pay me the rest of the funds i had to threaten to call the washington post and it wasn't until i got a freaking property attorney involved they released the money to me and this title company has five offices here in the dc metro area and so it's like interesting
0: i'm surprised title companies are yep. very regulated and you yep. they have a lot of eyes on them i'm surprised with five offices they're they're holding back funds from, uh, yep. Not yep. It was
1: a lawyer. It was a lawyer that actually did the closing and I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I, I've been doing this for, for 15 plus years and I'm still learning. A
0: hundred percent. I mean, that's the other beauty of really you know, everything, right? There's, you know, I try to become a master at one thing at a time, whether it's either wholesaling, fixing and flipping, um, but you learn things new as you go. Uh, for me, I just had a fire at one of my rental properties. You know, now I'm dealing with the, you know, luckily nobody was hurt. It wasn't a huge fire, but I just learned how to go through the insurance process, how to get my money from the from the insurance company um, and how to, you know, go through the claims of, of, of fire insurance, which I would have never known unless that situation happened. So uh, the beauty about it is you're always a student to the game. You're always learning as you go. And uh, don't feel like you need to learn everything overnight. Uh, and it's crazy what things you know turn into. If you asked me four years ago, Adam, where are you going to be in a couple of years? Did I ever expect to be doing the things I've done in the last four years? Absolutely not. It's all part of the ride. And as long as you're staying involved, you're staying consistent, and you're going out there and you're building relationships, there's a multitude of things that could happen in your life. And I think real estate is something that really does it for people. Yep. Yep. Awesome, fries. I appreciate it, bro. Um, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on, sharing the value, teaching the youth, letting everybody know. You know, kind of the, the different situations you learn from as well. I wish you nothing but the best of the luck for the new year, and uh, stay in touch for sure. Thanks for having me on,
1: Adam. I'm really grateful.